0: That is the truth, isn't it? God is good and God is great. Praise the Lord. Thank you all so much uh, for singing that for us tonight. Well, if you have your Bible tonight, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's page number 1,280. If you have an old Scofield Bible, I want to read uh, four or five verses here tonight. I ask you to leave your Bibles open and just follow me along here for just a moment. Now, on our website again, if you're on the website, I think Jonathan said this was already on Facebook, but on the website at the top of the page there, there is a place for you to click up there, and you can actually get the outline like we normally do on Wednesday night. That's made available to you if you'd like to download that and also our prayer list and all that's going on here in our church family so you can kind of stay connected that way of knowing who to pray for and uh, so forth. And If you want to download that and use all that, uh, that would be a great blessing just kind of as a way to... Kind of keep yourself updated on all that's going on. All right? Again, I just remind you, Sunday morning at 10, our plans are to be here. Unless something drastic, something very dramatic takes place, we'll be here for 10 o'clock for our live stream and then back again on Sunday afternoon at 530. I'm looking forward. I am looking forward to preaching Sunday. I'm not sure all I'm going to say, but I can't wait to hear it. I'll tell you that. And uh, so uh, I hope you'll join us and uh, for our live stream on uh, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Well, let's read now Second Timothy chapter 3. And I want to begin reading with verse number 1. And I'd like to read down through verse number 5. And here's what the Bible said. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Now, I'd like to ask you to leave your Bibles right there open to these verses tonight. I'd like to go back, if we can, and just kind of move around in this text a little bit as we continue our messages from the book of 2 Timothy. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word tonight and just speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that people will just, if they can, as best as can, come away from all the distractions of not being in church. And, Lord, I know in homes that TV may be blaring or... Uh, something's going on somewhere, but, Lord, may we just for a little while, if, if at all possible, may we just focus our attention on the Word of God. And I pray you'd have an encouraging word for us from this text tonight and help us as we move through it. And I pray that as we move through it, that you'll speak to our hearts tonight and cheer us up, as uh, Brother Allen talked a moment ago, uh, that we can, even in these days, these, these days of uncertainty, we can still have joy as God's people. And, the Lord, we can know that, Jesus, you're coming soon. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for quite a while in our Wednesday evening services now, we've been involved in a series of messages from the uh, New Testament book of 2 Timothy. And I've been preaching, I've entitled this series of messages, A Manual for Maturity. And as we have noticed, as we have went through uh, these chapters thus far, that Paul is writing his final letter, his uh, final words to his young protege, Timothy. Keep in mind, as we read these words, what we're actually doing here is reading the mail of the apostle Paul. And what we have before us in these four chapters is a very personal, very intimate letter between two people whose love for each other in Christ runs very, very deeply. Paul, on a previous occasion, on his first missionary journey into the city, the area of Galatia, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, that area of Galatia, he, uh, he had a young man saved in probably one of his synagogue services, and his name was Timothy. And then Paul went back on his second missionary journey into that same area, and, and, and as he did so, the church in Derby was abuzz about this young convert, this young disciple who was on fire for the Lord, his name was Timothy. Paul takes Timothy in and literally makes Timothy an associate in the ministry. As of the writing now of this second letter, Paul now understands that his time on earth is very short. So he writes to his young son in the faith, young Timothy, and encourages him as well as challenges him to be steadfast and to be moving on in the work of the Lord. Thus, our title, The Manual for Maturity. I was reading this week. I have several books. One of my favorite writers to read uh, now uh, read behind is a man by the name of Guy King. Guy King was an old English preacher. He died back in 1954. And I have several books. I've tried to get a hold of every book that Guy King has ever written. And uh, in this particular book that I was reading about this week, he was preaching on the subject of in, I-N preaching on the subject of in, like being in the family of God. And his whole message was built around three questions. Number one, are you in? Number two, how far are you in? And number three, are you getting others in? Now, I know that might sound very, very surface, very simple, and yet, man, what great questions. Are you in? Boy, maybe that's a great question. I ought to stop and ask all of our watchers and listeners tonight, are you in? I'm not talking about are you in the church. I'm talking about are you in the family. Have there's, has there been a time in your life when you realized that you were a sinner and you, and you fell upon the mercy of God and asked Jesus to be your Savior? Now, if you say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I've always been a Christian. Well, let me tell you, if you've always been a Christian, then you're not a Christian. Because a Christian is somebody who understands how lost they are and then pleads for mercy from the Lord Jesus, accepts him as their Savior, and they're born into the family of God. Maybe a good question. I should ask you tonight, are you in? But maybe it's a follow-up question to that. Maybe I need to ask you this. How far are you in? You see, once we come into God's family, God wants us to move on in the family. Now, the sad but true. Let's face it. The problem with too many people in our day is they come in, but then they never move on. And they kind of hover around that same vicinity for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. They're still in the same neighborhood, in the same zip code of where they came into the family of God. May I say that that is indeed a tragedy. God wants us, once we come into the family, God wants us to move on in our relationship with God to mature, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've said this almost every sermon. Y'all forgive me. I don't mean to be repetitive. But I think it just needs to be said again. If you hang around too long in where you got into the family, it becomes very easy to reach back over into your unsaved life and drag all that garbage, all that trash out of your unsaved life into your saved life, and then, buddy, we got some real problems when that happens. Buddy, it's time to move on in the family. That's what 2 Timothy is all about. Are you in? If the answer is yes, may I ask you, how far are you in? Well, this manual for maturity. As we approach our text tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm Once again, I'm amazed at how update, update uh, uh, our Bible is to the times that we're living in. What a great text to be in uh, tonight because it deals with the last days. Now, I think anybody in here, those of you that are listening, will not argue with me when I tell you that we're living in the last days. I don't know how all this is going on in our world today fits into the grand scheme of things wrapping up, but I promise you, if nothing else, what we have seen in recent days is but a preview, a foretaste of how things are going to be during the tribulation period. I mean, can you just imagine? We understand that during the tribulation period, one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be great, uh, there's going to be great disease and, and great famine. The Bible talks about a time of pestilence, a disease that wraps the world, and the people are going to be hungry and starving And all of that takes place in the time of the tribulation period. Now, I think what we've just had here, maybe what we're going through is maybe just a foretaste, a preview of all that is yet to come. Without doubt, you and I are living in the last days. And as we face these last days, there seems to be three prevailing attitudes. As we look around at all that's going on in our world, there are three types of people. The first group is this, those people that are afraid. You know, I kind of got it in my mind. There's a lot of people that's afraid tonight, don't you? I mean, all around us. I tell you what, if I wasn't a saved man, I'd be afraid of what we're facing right now. I mean, this virus and people that are dying from that. And I mean, at first we were told that it's just older folks with underlying health issues. And the further we go along into this thing, we see that young people are being affected by it and middle-aged people are being affected by it. i would be honest with you, if I was lost, I'd be a scared man. Yeah, there's a lot of people that look at what's going on in our world today and they are afraid. But then there's a second group and that is that group that I would say as we view things happening, they don't know enough to be afraid. You know, let's face it, we live in a world today that when it comes to anything biblical or scriptural or spiritual, there's a lot of, and I say this in the right way, there's a lot of ignorance in our world today. A lot of ignorance. And I'm not saying that condescending, talking down to people, because I've got to tell you something. I'm ignorant in a lot of areas. When it comes to brain surgery, I'd be ignorant in that area. And there's a lot of people that's in our world, today, they see all this is going on, and they say, huh? that's just, just one other thing we've got to get through. And they don't even know enough to be afraid. So there are those that are afraid. There are those that don't know enough to be afraid. But then number three, there are those of us who know our Bibles. And those of us who know our Bibles don't have to be afraid. We don't have to suffer from what we could call headline hysteria. We don't have to worry about watching all those negative news reports and all that's coming out. By the way, can I give you some, uh, I say advice, but can I just encourage you not to sit around and watch the news all day long? I mean, I get it, maybe tune it in just to keep up to date, but I tell you what, you want to get depressed out of your mind, watch that garbage on TV all day long, all this doom and gloom stuff. I tell you what's the truth, I'd be depressed out of my mind if all I did sit around and watch the news today. Man, I'm glad those of us that know our Bible, we don't have to suffer from headline hysteria. God has laid it out for us in the Bible and he said, okay, this is how it's going to be. So if I could tonight, I want you to join me in this text. And I'd like to point out from verse 1 down through verse 5, I'd like to point out three things that we find in this text about the last days. First of all, look at verse number 1, and let me talk a little bit about the period of the last days. The period of the last days. Now, our text begins with this word, these words, this, no. This, no. Now, there are some things that we can know. There are some things that we should know. There are some things that we need to know. And there are some things that we must know. We must know, And one of those things that you and I as God's people ought to really wrap our mind about and really just settle is the fact that we are living in the last days. You know, if you really study the Bible out, the one thing you come to understand is this. Uh, When I talk about the last days, I'm talking about the days prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And in fact, according to the Bible, the period known as the last days actually began while Jesus was here on this earth. Now, that's been over 2,000 years ago that Jesus was here. And yet, as we read our Bible, we come to understand that God called the days that Jesus was here on this earth in a literal body, Walking about for 33-plus years, God said those were the last days. Now, let me, let me prove that to you. Up on the screens, we read these words. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, in time past, in the Old Testament days, God spoke to the leaders of the nation of Israel through prophets. We know that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Daniel, all the Micah. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But notice the next verse. The Bible said that God hath in these... Say those next two words with me. In these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now that tells us something. God is telling us, hey, the last days, the period of the last days actually began on, on the days when Jesus was here on this earth. Those last days, that period continued to the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching on that day and 3,000 folks got saved, Peter quoted from an Old Testament prophet by the name of Joel. And back in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 16, the Bible said, Peter on the day of Pentecost said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then he said this the last days, that God would pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Now, we know the Holy Spirit came into the world on the day of Pentecost and the Bible said Peter reached back, got an Old Testament prophecy out and said, hey, this is going to happen in the last days. Then, of course, we know the period of the last days continues right on up until the time of the Apostle Paul. Paul said there in verse 1, this know also that in the last days. What I said all that to say this: we've been living in the last days for a long time. You say, preacher, explainify that one to us. Why do you think this period is such a long time? The only explanation I can give you for the fact that Jesus hadn't already come is these words. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. The only reason I can give you right now that Jesus hadn't already come is the fact that he's patiently waiting. He's leaving. You know, when Noah got on the ark, you remember that? God said, Noah, you and your family, y'all come on. You ham, sham, japheth, y'all get your wives. Uh, Miss Noah, y'all come on in now. And the Bible said that they entered the ark. But didn't you notice that for seven days, God left the door open for seven more days? Yeah, it didn't start raining the moment they walked in. Noah, as he walked in, didn't say, "What's that?" Felt a drop of rain. It didn't rain for seven days. God left the door down, the game plank down, for seven more days. You say, preacher, explain that to us. God is not slack concerning His promises. As some, He's long suffering to usward. Yes, sir. The coming of the Lord Jesus is coming again. Now we know that. We know that we're living. In the last days. We know we're living in the days prior to the return of the Lord Jesus. Now, as we live out these days, there are two extremes we have got to try to avoid. We've got to try to avoid, avoid these two extremes as we pr- approach the coming of Jesus. I call the first one, uh, we have got to try to avoid sensationalism. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, date setters. We've got to try to avoid all that stuff. Don't get caught up in all the sensationalism regarding the second coming. You know, there's been books written about it. I think about that one written back in the 80s by Edgar Edgar Wisdom. And 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 88. Remember that? He was wrong 88 times. Then he moved on up, said, no, it's not September the 11th, 12th, 13th. He said, I missed it a year. And he said, 89 reasons Jesus is coming in 89, but didn't come. You remember old Harold Camping back in uh, 2011? You remember that? May the 21st, 2011, Harold Camping, the founder of American Family Radio, he prophesied or said Jesus was coming May the 21st, 2011, convinced all of them people to sell everything they had, buy signs and uh, spend their money on this and that, and, and to, to warn people that Jesus was coming May the 21st, 2011. Well, it came and went. Then he predicted the end of the world in October of 2011. And these people ignore what the Bible says about setting dates. Look at this verse right here, Matthew 24. But uh, if any man shall say, Matthew 24 and its verse number, I don't know, I put the wrong verse up there, but it says this. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Hey, listen, date setters are upsetters. Don't get caught up in that sensationalism, all that hype and hoopla that comes along occasionally. I remember years ago reading in the Winston-Salem Journal, I, I, I was, there was an article in there, it's been years ago, and it was about how they finally found the red heifer in the land of Israel. Now, if you know, I was just reading about the red heifer this morning. I'm reading right now the book of Numbers, and one of the chapters I was in, probably about chapter, I don't know, maybe chapter 18 or 19, maybe 20 of the book of Numbers, is about a chapter about the red heifer. And the red heifer, in, 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 in those days, in, in the coming time of the temple, uh, a red heifer, they have to find a perfect red heifer. And that red heifer has to be slaughtered and then it has to be burned. And its ashes are then gathered up and they're, they're put in some water and they're used for purification ceremony. And I remember back years ago in the Winston-Salem Journal, they had a a picture of a rabbi sitting on a stool with a magnifying glass peeling back the hairs of a red heifer. And he was looking for white hairs or black hairs or some other color hair that would disqualify that. And and the article said something to the effect they had found the red heifer. And everybody said, oh, man, we're getting ready to leave. Yes, sir, they done found a red heifer over there. Man, we're getting ready to check out of here. But it didn't happen. I remember reading an article not long ago that over in the city of Jerusalem, uh, they, they wrote about how that outside the city of Jerusalem there was a huge concentration of buzzards that had migrated into that area. Then there were preachers that jumped on that and said, man, look yonder, God's done calling in the birds to feast off the carcasses of those that'll be slain in the Battle of Armageddon. The vultures are already migrate in Jerusalem. They said, oh man, get ready, Jesus is coming. But didn't come. You know, all that's good and fine, man. I'm, I'm not against any of that. But don't get caught up in all that sensationalism. No man knows the day nor the hour when Jesus is coming. I mean, man, we almost look for buzzards and and heifers more than we do for Jesus. Avoid the the extreme of sensationalism, but there's a second extreme we've got to avoid, and that's this, the the extreme of skepticism. That's right. You know that old attitude that says, he ain't coming. I mean, look at these verses right here in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come, and then here's that same phrase again. In the last days, scoffers, walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, that attitude's crept into our churches a whole lot. Preacher stands up anymore and says, hey, you better get ready. Jesus is coming. Folks, roll their eyes about it. Somebody say, hey, you better get ready. Jesus is coming. The average response is, That old skeptical attitude, skepticism. Oh, it ain't going to happen. Where is he? Why hasn't he come? But I promise you this, you and I are living in the period of the last days. The period of the last days. Look again now at verse 1. Let's talk not only about the period of the last days, but let's talk about the peril of the last days. Look again at verse 1. The Bible said, This know also that in the last days... And then notice this next word perilous times shall come. Now, Paul says in this text here that those last days are going to be a time of great peril. So I looked up in my Strong's Concordance, I looked up the word perilous, and I found this out. It is only used one other time in all the Bible. The the word, the Greek word for perilous, is only used one other time in the whole Bible. And it's back in the book of Matthew chapter 8, and in chapter 8, it is used in connection with those maniac, uh, maniac uh, the maniac of Gadara, those Gadarian maniacs. And here's what the Bible said. And when he was come, Jesus was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes. There met him two men possessed with devils. Now in Mark 5, Mark only deals with one of those guys. But Matthew says, no, there were two of them. And the Bible said there were two men, they were possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding and then there's the word fierce in other words the bible says those men were under the influence they were under the sway they were being controlled by demonic forces am i right i mean the bible said that they were that they they cut themselves they cried out i mean they were emotional wrecks they couldn't be bound they, 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 when they were bound, they broke their fetters asunder. I mean, these were men that were empowered and influenced by the devil. And then we come to our text, and that same word fierce is the same word perilous in our text. So let me read it like this. This know also that in the last days exceeding fierce times shall come. You know what I think we're told there? I think that in the last days that we're told there that just as those demonic spirits inhabited the men and influenced the behavior of the people of, those, of that day, in our day, people's spirits and lives are going to be inhabited by and influenced by demonic spirits. Now, I'm not seeing a spook behind every bush. I'm not one to do that, but I will tell you this. The only way we can explain some of the things going on in our world today is to say, man, the devil is inhabiting people's lives. There's a verse that says this over in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Notice this phrase, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. If you'll notice, that's a capital S there. The Holy Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, there we go, last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I will tell you something, friend. We're living in days when people are being influenced, inhabited by the devil. The only, th- only, only, way we can attri- only way we can come to an understanding of some of the things that going on in our world today is to say that people are influenced by the devil. They're inhabited by the devil. When we read of the murders and the molestations and the rapes and the robberies and the anger and the abuse and the use of alcohol and drugs, men have to be under the influence of the devil to act the way they act to do what they do, to talk like they talk, and to act like they act. The only explanation that we give you is they've got to be under the influence, under the sway of the devil. Amen. Yes, sir. So in the last days, exceeding fierce, perilous times shall come. One of the great characteristics of the last days is days of great, of great peril. They're definite days. They're difficult days. They're dangerous days. They're deceptive days. The peril of the last days. But here, come with me to verse 2. Here's where I wanted to get to, 753. Uh, I, I want to leave you with this the particulars of the last days. The particulars of the last days. You see, in these verses, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5, Paul, if I counted them correctly, there are 18 characteristics of people who are living. In the last days, now please don't don't say, "Oh my goodness, he is going to preach 18 things to us." I'm not. I promise you, I'm not. I'm not. So don't go to sleep on me here. But I would like to do what I would like to do is just take these 18 things, beginning in verse two, verse three, and verse four, and let me break them down into three groups. Because as we read this text, we find out, man, there are some things wrong with people who are living in the last days. First of all, would you notice in this text, number one, they're wrong in their attitudes. They're wrong. I'm sorry, they're wrong in their actions. Now, when I look at this, I'm just reading down through this list here. I see how the actions of people are wrong in the last days. For instance, when I read things like this, where the Bible said that men are going to be blasphemers. Where is that at? There in verse number uh, number 2. They're lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, pre- blasphemers. Their actions are wrong, blasphemers. That means foul mouth. Have you ever seen a day in an age when people were as foul mouthed as they are in our day? My wife went into Family Dollar this week, uh, or maybe it was this week, or maybe it's the end of last week. One. There in, where we live, we live in Pilot Mountain. My wife went in there, and my wife said that she was absolutely just taken back. There were two elderly, not men, but women that were in Family Dollar, and she said they were so loud and so boisterous, and they were just cursing back and forth to one another. If you've ever been in Family Dollar, especially one Pilot Mountain, it's not very big. If you get on one aisle, you can hear it over, all the way to. And she said those ladies, those elderly ladies, were just cussing and laughing at each other. She says, unbelievable. can you believe that? Now, it's bad enough coming from a bunch of men, but can you believe a bunch of grandmas and family dollar cussing like that? It's sad, friend. Ladies are no different from men today. I mean, it's bad enough when a man opens his mouth and a sewage comes out, but isn't it terrible when a young lady or a lady that's supposed to be a lady opens her mouth and just sewage and filth just spews out of her mouth like just coming right out of the heart of the earth? Friend, I'm telling you, our actions are wrong. Blasphemers. He goes on, talks about in this same text about disobedience to parents. Isn't it amazing? It is absolutely amazing at how well the parents, how well the parents listen and obey their children today. Is it not amazing? Disobedient. Actions are wrong. Ungodly, the Bible said. They're against that, which is holy. False accusers, liars. You know something? You're never more like the devil than when you're telling a lie because he is a liar and the Father of all lies. You're never more like Jesus than when you're telling the truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Fierce, they're savage. They're despisers of those that are good. Have you ever seen a day and an age when when that which is good and just and holy is mocked more than it is today? I mean, brother, they'll they'll stand up, spew garbage and filth out of their mouth, but anything that's holy and good and right is laughed at. It's mocked at today. The Bible said fools make a mock at sin, Proverbs 14:9). Truce breakers, irreconcilable, incontinent. They have no self-control. Paul said, I'll tell you what, their actions are going to be wrong. Then he goes on and says this, their attitudes are going to be wrong. Look what he says, some of these words in this, in this text here. He talks about proud. Boy, have you ever seen such a day of days when people were... We're p- more prouder than they are in our age. Proud, full of pride. Well, I tell you, God sure does hate pride, don't He? That one of those six things Proverbs tells us that God hates is a is a proud look. I tell you what, friend, ain't none of us in here that's made it on our own. Not a one of us. But you can't even breathe if were it not for God. The Bible said, without God, without Jesus, we do nothing. They're boasters. They just boast of their greatness, how wonderful I am. Isn't there somebody on TV called Mr. Wonderful? Uh, whatever, they call Mr. Wonderful. I mean, they're, they're unthankful. They have no thanksgiving toward God. They're high-minded. They're heady. That means to be strong-willed and will not listen to wise counsel. I wrote down right out beside that, teenagers. Strong-willed. Try to give them advice. Try to counsel them what's doing Right. Man, they they don't care. They're they're heady. Their attitudes are wrong. Then Paul wraps it up by just saying this, their affection is wrong. Look what he says. I just went through this list and found out what he said about loving. Look at verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know, we're told in the Bible to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. We're told in the Bible to love each other. We're told the Bible to love God. People in our day, you know what? They love themselves. It's all about themselves. On down in here it says this, verse three, without natural affection. I'm talking about their their uh, their affection is wrong. They're without natural affection. That means uh, anything that's natural. Can I tell you something? It's only natural for a man to love a woman. That's natural. It's only natural for a woman to love a man. It's only natural for a husband to love his wife. It's only right for parents to love their children. It's only right for children to love... But we're living in a day and age when that's, that, even that's been interrupted. That's been uprooted. There's no natural effect. Can I tell you something? It's sad but true. There's a lot of parents that love their dogs more than they love their own children. I mean, man, they'll let old Fifi come up and just lick all over them in the mouth and the face. Oh, my goodness. What in the world are you thinking? You've been noticing everywhere else Fifi's been licking? What in the world? And then their kids come up and it's like, I don't have time for their kids. They'll go spend $500 a week on groceries for their dog and let their kids eat cold Pop-Tarts and chicken noodle soup out of a can. Are you kidding me? There's no natural affection. And then he says this, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Need I say anything more? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Think about, of course, did isn't this way now, but think about how on Sunday those ball stadiums are full of thousands and thousands of people while the attendance in the normal average church is going down. You know what's wrong? They love pleasure more than they love God. And then he caps it all off by simply saying this, they're covetous. They love Lovers of money. You know what he's saying? And he's saying their actions are wrong, their attitudes are wrong, their affections are wrong. Now, let me ask those of you, and I don't know, maybe there's 10 or 12 of us in here tonight, but does that not describe the day and the age in which we're living right now? I mean, that's like reading tomorrow morning's Winston-Salem Journal. That ladies and gentlemen, are the particulars of the last days. And Paul said, when you see all this happening, look up. Jesus is coming soon. It isn't going to be long, friend, till we're out of here. The Bible said when you see uh, Luke 21:28, when you see these things, begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is coming again. Well, I'm glad I'm ready. I'm glad I'm ready. Are you in? How far are you in? Are you getting others in the last days? Let's pray. Father,